Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 55th episode, I'm happy to be joined by Skylar Mail, who I recently visited in a studio in Chicago. We talk at great length about all the different works that he makes, which include a wide variety of media, including and especially talked about his performance work with Gelatin and Moms, as well as some of his music his video work, and his 2D painting and drawing works. Again, a wide variety of works to check out. And of course, check out SkylarMail.com and get a preview before this episode begins. We are going to be playing one of his songs halfway through the podcast and one again at the end. So be sure to stay tuned for very uninterrupted versions of his music, which you're hearing now. As always, we just want to remind anybody that is visiting Studio Break for the first time or hearing this podcast, we are a podcast and blog that features a variety of contemporary artists discussing their studio practice, their interests, what they research, and all sorts of good stuff. So each week we've got a new podcast with a slideshow and links to their websites. So go ahead and check out all the artists that we've had, including all the ones that you've missed in our archives. Again, you can easily access that. Just look over to the left. There's a sidebar and an archive function, and you can scroll month by month and visit some of the artists that we've had on over the past two years. If you happen to be on Twitter, you can follow us at Studio Break, and if you're on Facebook, you can always like our Studio Break page where we provide updates from some of the past guests that we've had, including exhibition announcements, previews from some of the guests that we have coming up, as well as calls for entries and all sorts of good stuff. So please like our Facebook page. And as always, we hope that you would share this with others that might find it interesting and help spread the word. Our last reminder, if you're a frequent iTunes user, you can always subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Search for Studio Break under podcast and subscribe there. All right, everyone. Skylar Mail coming up. Welcome to Studio Break. I'm here with Skylar Mail in his studio. How are you doing, sir? I'm pretty good. Um, well, it's been it's been uh, interesting just to be here and kind of seeing all the stuff going around. Uh, you know, different artworks kind of everywhere, things in the works. Um, but could you just uh, I don't know tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? You know, you're living in Chicago. What you're doing? And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm living in Chicago right now. Um... Living in Humboldt Park, or not, I was living in Humboldt Park, I'm living in Logan Square now, which is very close anyway. Um, I'm from Chicago, I was born in Chicago, uh, I grew up here, went to school at Illinois State, um, about the same time you were there as well, and uh, then I moved to Iceland, Reykjavik, Iceland, in about 2005, um, sort of on a whim. I'd met some Icelandic guys uh, when I was in school in Italy uh, on a semester abroad sort of program. I'd finished my college career out there in Florence, Italy. So they invited me to move to Iceland, and I moved to Reykjavik and just sort of um, dropped everything, quit my job, quit everything, saved my money for you know about a year, and went out there. I had no clue really what I was doing. I just knew that it seemed like a strange place to go and it seemed like a strange place to start making work. And I really was hoping to get um, a lot of solace there and sort of solitude and 
really a lot of peace and quiet. So it was, it was strange to move there and have that cultural difference, the temperature difference, um, to really feel like you're, I mean, just the country itself has like a bit of a moon, alien, different world um, terrain to it. So a lot of that was just really fascinating to me being there. And so when I was there, I, I just, I made friends pretty quickly because it's such a small, close-knit community there. And I met a lot of, there's a lot of great um, art happening and a lot of really avant-garde and strange things and strange people. I think about a couple months into my stay, I kind of started um, drawing and working with a couple of different guys there that were still in school. We sort of started a little art group called uh, Moms. And it was, it was like an acronym for our, our names, basically. It was Mundi, uh, who's now a really fantastic uh, fashion designer, doing really well. Um, Mori, who nicknamed, who had that nickname, but his name was Freke. Um, and he was just a fantastic guy. He was, took me all over the country. He's an amazing artist, um, amazing drawer. And then it was me. So it was Mundi Og, which means and, Mori, and then I was like an apostrophe, yes. So we started, yeah, we started just doing these like really weird, exquisite corpse drawings together, you know. Um, it was really interesting because they had, they had such a different drawing style than I had, and they had a different uh, perspective on art, and it was, it was really informal, sort of the way that we worked together. You know, so it's, it's really interesting to, to kind of think about that idea of collaboration, something that we've been talking about, you know, pretty much since I walked in, is about this idea of collaboration, sure, yeah. you know, how exciting it is to be involved in all these different things. Was that something that was, you know, always uh, interesting to you, or, or were you, because you also described yourself as kind of being, you know, someone that likes to be in a studio, so I mean, when, when you were young, did you endlessly draw things and kind of be by yourself, or did you have kind of like a collaborative idea about it even when you were younger? Um, that's a weird question because uh, let's say, I feel like some part of my brain has that collaborative um, uh, adventurous spirit and the other half is like just be alone and stay in your studio and don't talk to anybody. And you know, when I was younger I, I played a lot of music and I was in bands and punk bands and a, a part of that sort of scene where you know, you you're young and you make noise together and it sort of doesn't really matter um, necessarily what it sounds like, but you're, you're doing it together and you sort of work together. And I, I felt like when I started working with these guys and moms, it was the same experience as basically starting a new punk band with somebody, you know, where right. it didn't feel like um, we were after anything in particular, but it was like the energy was there, you know, and that was enough for me to be like, okay, I can, I can do this because I'm not so stuck on, what I'm planning on doing. And I had no plan because I was in, you know, Iceland for fuck's sake. I didn't know what I was doing. Right. I just knew that I needed to do something and these guys wanted to work with me and they thought that, you know, I was doing good stuff. So, and I felt the same way. And so for me, it was like, let's just investigate it and see where it goes, you know? Right. Well, and it, I think too, just being in that environment where you're around a handful of people that you maybe really get along with, it's really easy to kind of become influenced or become, yeah, you know, like a, a springboard for ideas. Like, yeah. hey, I've got this idea. What do you think about this? So we could do that. And they had just such a different perspective from me. So, and I, from them probably as well, you know, so I think 
it was really just interesting to let our minds just sort of bounce off of each other. And I mean, the drawings that we were actually doing were, were about canceling each other's drawings out, you know? So it was really, it was almost like a sort of graffiti wall for people that can draw pretty well, you know? Right. <laughs> well, and, and was it, was it the case too? Were they, were they also like really kind of technically kind of trained? Cause I, I kind of think about you as being the same way. I mean, especially, um, you know, seeing when things pop up, you've got so many different things that I've seen in the 2D realm. And, you know, obviously we've got other stories that we'll go into in a bit, but I mean, you know, I think of some, you know, having that real technical background too. Did they have that same kind of thing? Um, they did to a certain extent. I mean, I think maybe I had a little bit more experience in that, but I mean, they definitely had the, the eye and the ability to sort of, um, do that, but it, it wasn't really necessarily about, um, that technical ability. It was more about, I think it was, it was really more about cartooning sort of than anything, you know, it got really cartoony and weird and uh, abstract. And, and so if we kind of backtrack a second too, cause and again, like one of the second things I said to you was, you know, we kind of missed each other, you know, in terms of, you know, really like being in the same area, working in the same time. So to some degrees, it's interesting cause I, you know, I've, like I said, I've seen stuff here and there. Um, but I mean, what were you, what were you interested in prior to like kind of going there? I mean, had you kind of set on that, you know, again, we're sitting in the, in your studio, you got a bunch of paintings. So obviously that's something that you still do. I mean, was it something that you were focused on in a particular way? Cause like now too, it's very, it seems very open to just kind of doing whatever you want to really do with something. Yeah. I mean, I've always kind of sort of considered myself to be primarily a painter and that forthright, um, so before I think before I went to Iceland, I had been studying you know a lot of figure painting, and I was pretty obsessed with like really maintaining that sort of like uh, structural and uh, illustrative style, and um, learning learning more and investigating that. Um, and so while I was in Iceland, I actually found out that um, that there's a Norwegian, very famous Norwegian painter named Odd Nerdrum that was uh, stationed there and had a studio there at the same time. And um, I found out where he lived. I went and knocked on the door one day and um, invited myself in, you know, <laughs> probably rudely, you know. <laughs> but I wasn't turned away and um, very quickly sort of navigated myself around his studio and probably talked circles around myself. Uh, but he invited me back, you know, every day. Um, to be a part of his studio and, you know, basically became an apprentice and a model for him for about a year while I was living there. I was dumbfounded to have found myself in that experience, you know, sure. because it was somebody that I admired from afar and somebody that I thought never in my lifetime will I ever meet this person and see this person. It's just, these are paintings that exist in a, a different sphere and to be in that studio and then to be a part of his life and to be a part of his daily routine and to be eventually in his paintings was kind of a really surreal experience for me. And I learned so much about figure painting and about modeling and gesturing. And, uh, we, we went through art history books every single day and just went through the old masters and pointed out their flaws and their weaknesses and their strong points. And a lot of that was like, it was like, an instant grad school sort of thing, you know, for me. But at the same time, I felt like even though I admired what he did, it wasn't really necessarily something that I wanted to pursue with my painting and my art career. You know, it was like something I wanted to take from 
and learn from a lot, but it's not something I necessarily wanted to do. And he was pretty stringent about, you know, this, like, vice, this, like, uh, failure painting versus, you know, contemporary painting and abstraction. It was almost like a Republican versus Democrat sort of war for him, you know? Right. And I felt like a little bit like I was in the middle of it. Well, it's it's super interesting, too, because, you know, kind of getting back to what you were saying, too, and, you know, something that I've been thinking about, you know, when I was reading earlier today, there was some, you know something about how how much money people invest in school, and especially you know art school, and how whether or not it's worth it. And in a weird way, you know, you kind of you know like we discussed, you kind of don't have a real necessarily understanding of how things work. So it's kind of a really intensive, kind of immersive kind of thing to kind of go into someone that's you know huge established artists and sure. kind of see how their operation goes. I mean. How many other people were working, and, and I mean, was it something that you kind of just did what you were told, or? Um, it was it was a really great experience. There was another one other Icelandic guy that was about my age, probably uh, maybe a couple of years older, named Frunder. Uh He was also a really good painter, and so we would um, we would sit in a studio and watch him paint, and also paint on our own um, paintings. So it'd be like you know, it wasn't. It was maybe the double size of the studios, but um, he actually inhabited the old library in Reykjavik. He bought the old library and just made it into a studio. But it was one of those things where you just, um, you paint and you paint and you paint and you paint and paint. And you pretty much erase it every single day and keep going. And he, he did the same thing, you know, with these figures. And the figures would come, the models would come back in every day and have to hold these poses for you know, six to eight hours a day. And it was just watching him sort of get up early in the morning. <clears throat> so I would show up around 9, 10 a.m. And I would make him coffee. <laughs> get him a cinnamon stick because he was always chewing on cinnamon sticks. And then it was just painting all fucking day long. And it didn't stop, you know. Right. And then maybe, maybe a film at the end of the night. We'd watch some old Russian film or something. And then... Um, Back to work the next day, and so I really learned that if you want to be good at something or you want to, you know, really investigate something, you have to do it like it's your job, right? You know, and some of us can't. I can't personally do it, but when I come home from my job where I make money, I kind of do it like it's my job when I get home, you know? right? Right. I try to treat it like that. Well, and so how long did you stay there? Um... And I guess, too, how, so how did this splinter out then in terms of being in this new location? Because I'm guessing that, well, like you are just saying, you're, you're working on your own stuff. You're starting to kind of, you know, collaborate um, in mom? Mom's. Mom's, yeah. sorry. Yeah, it was, a weird, it was a weird thing because I was working with him during the day. And then, like, sort of on the weekends and uh, in the evenings, I'd be working with the mom's guys on the complete opposite end of the art spectrum, you know, doing these really weird Things. And then we started doing sort of uh, public art improvisations and performances and stuff. And we're getting, you know, well-known in the Reykjavik scene, which is very small, but, you know, it was a good thing to happen. And so uh, maybe a year, I lived there for about two years. And really, it's, trying, it's hard for me to think back to, like, what actually happened when, but it doesn't matter. So... There's a really nice gallery called Kling and Bang Gallery. They do really experimental work, and um, they're fantastic establishment in Reykjavik. They bring in great international artists. At that time, Gelatin came to do an exhibition there, and we'd met them at a 
party, I think, a couple days before they were doing this show. And they invited us to help. They needed some extra participants in this performance they were doing. So they built out this um, the back gallery of the room and, and filled it with Icelandic moss that we'd been collected from the countryside, which is illegal also, but doesn't really matter. Um, filled up these like handmade light canisters with like tin cans on them, so there was little mini spotlights, and then built these little rafters around, so it was maybe three or four rafters up, like a bleacher seating. Mm-hmm. And then we laid down in the moss with holes cut out in our pants and had the spotlights on our penises. And then we had the audience come in and we tried to get erections with our minds for about five hours. Success. I mean, it was really hard to do that, but I think the point of the piece was really just to get this sort of garden sort of atmosphere going on, you know, because in, in that light where the, that piece of anatomy is sort of abstracted out from the body, you just see this weird alien sort of mm-hmm. creature that's growing and falling and growing and falling, almost like a flower dying and growing at the same time. Um, so that was my first experience with these, these guys, it was these four guys from Austria. So it was strange, it was really strange, but I felt liberated really liberated meeting these guys and just knowing that, okay, maybe my perspective on what I'm doing in art is completely off. Maybe I'm too narrow-minded to think about what could be done because this is, I knew it was definitely weird and I knew it was definitely good, but I didn't know why. Right. You know? Well, so, so I mean, what happened after that in terms of uh, how did you top it? I mean, was it really kind of looked at it like, yeah, we've got to do this next, or what? I mean, the, the Jonathan guys are pretty established. They're about, uh, see, I'm 32. They're about, they're about 10, 15 years older than me. So, you know, they're a whole art generation before me. And they've been working together since they were young kids, almost like a band in the same respect, you know? Mm-hmm. So I sort of, I, they had also that same sort of energy where you're like, okay, I get this. This is like sort of a punk rock sort of community style mentality where we're just going to go for it and see what happens. And, you know, it's, it's not about, um, I never thought it was really about shocking people, but it was about investigating people's uh, perceptions of body and time, their, their uh, ability to approach it and to stay away from it and sort of thing. So, I mean, how does this, you know, how does this keep kind of building? Because I know that, you know, aside from just that, I mean, you do, you know, music, performance. Um, but, I mean, did, did this did this performance in particular, like, lead you on to another, you know, to be invited somewhere to do something else? Did it just kind of snowball in that? Yeah, I, I really thought it was a singular experience just meeting these guys and doing this one performance that we'd had a really great time in, in doing. Um, and before I knew it, that... Same year, I think they, they invited us to come to Austria, to Vienna, and they paid for our flight to come there and, and visit. And so we stayed there for about a week in their studio, just visiting with them. And the, the plan was to make a, a book about that performance um, based on our drawings, and that unfortunately never came through. But at that, that same time, they still invited us to go to New York um, 
that was 2007 to go to do a, a project at Deitch, Deitch Projects. And still, we, we'd known these guys for a little while, but not so well. We didn't really know. They had not told us exactly what we were doing. They just said, come to New York, tell us the flight, and we'll, we'll book it. Um, and so this, uh, I'll show you the picture here, is a, is a performance um, that we, we called Gunther Ben. And um, this is an entire banquet um, of people eating, as you can see. And over a probably a three-course meal, we built this bridge over the top of them while they were eating. And at the same time, they were eating or drinking tons and tons of water. Um, we built this entire structure. This is just balanced on a wall, actually, and bolted in just on each segment here. And at the end, when they were being served dessert, we were only wearing buckets on our head here. We just released all the liquid that we've been consuming you know, into each other's buckets and made a fountain out of the entire thing. You know, mm-hmm. so it seems like a really complicated project. In the end, it seems like this really simple fountain. You know, it might as well be a little boy peeing in a porcelain thing in somebody's right, backyard. Right. You know, well, and how much of it too is just that I, that collaboration of just building something? I mean, was it all planned out, or was it something that was like? <clears throat> um, Coming up as you're just doing it. No, I mean, that, that part of it was definitely planned out because it had to be structurally planned out. It had to be architecturally planned out. It had to be timed perfectly mm-hmm. as well. Um, and this is just the beginning of me working with them. So at that time, I basically just showed up and was a performer in the whole thing. And we built it at that time, and I didn't really know what was going on. None of us really knew what was going on. It was just sort of like, take this now and do this here. It's just action. And we're up, you know, probably 25 feet in the air, hoping that this thing is stable because if, if the whole thing falls apart, we're all dead or <laughs> right. horribly uh, injured, you know. And the audience also had no idea what was going on either, just eating and looking around and taking pictures every once in a while. And then it just got to this huge structure, and then, you know, surprise, here you go. In the end, around right. Right. finale. And it was very similar, I guess to the project we did in Iceland, but, you know, obviously much more daredevil sort of stuntish behavior. And that got me really excited. And then I was like, okay, now these are guys I have to work with, you know, sure of it. Well, and so did that collaboration kind of open up more so that it wasn't, you know, kind of like the point where you just kind of... What sort of established trust when you do something that sort of (laughs) dangerous and intimate with Mm -hmm. somebody... I mean, I'm not. I'm not really accustomed to going out and peeing in public. Right, right. That's not something that I do for fun, nor, nor do I have like a fetish over it or anything like that. It's just something that was was needed for the performance. So of course I did it. Um, but that instantly makes you uh, much more close to the people that you're performing with. And it, you know, mm-hmm. you do something dangerous and intimate at the same time. Sure. And I think that's probably the center of our relationship. You know. Well, and, and I guess one thing to kind of just bring up, I mean, um, just because, again, I mean, you know, we've talked about um, differences in grounds and painting, which is maybe not as exciting at all. No, I love but, that, uh, actually. Well, well, <laughs> I mean, um, well, it just leads me to believe, I mean, was there like a mission statement? Was there like a overarching idea? I mean, what was, what was the idea in terms of, you know, how this is going to work out? Or was it still in that, like, like you're saying, kind of like more like... Not as not as much as like a, a joint collaborators at that time, because um, I think that's one of the things that I think, I think much like 
evil Knievel stunt would be organized, you know, you assume, mm-hmm. like, okay, this is the plan, it's going to go like this, and we all hope it works out. Mm-hmm. I think that's about the information that we had when we arrived right. there, you know. And it was the same, because they they had not actually built it before, mm-hmm. you know. Right. So when you get there, you just go, okay, we're on now. Right. The curtain is open, and here we go. Right. And if it fails, it fails big. And if it doesn't fail, we're heroes, you know. Right, right. For the night, at least. And I think it's that sort of attitude that I really like, where it's just sort of like, okay, fuck it, let's go for it. Let's see where it goes. And I think I have the same attitude when I'm painting and drawing, too, you know? Right. Fuck it, let's just see where it goes. And if it's a complete failure, whoops, we'll do another one. Right. You know? I mean, this painting right here, I've painted over it probably four times now. Completely. It's been five, four or five different paintings. But I, I'm not at such a loss when I fuck up a painting. You know, it's time. It's like an experience for the time that you started and finish it. Sure, I'm learning every step that I fucked up. You know, right? With this sort of thing, it's like a real damage to your body. And then every every performance that we've done since then has been along the same lines a little bit. You know, right? Um, after that, we were at the Venice Biennial in 2007, and we built these boats and these rafts in a very similar structure to this. This wooden sort of uh, structure that sort of contorts around itself. Um, this is a, a show that was curated by Franz West. It's called the, um, the Hamster Wheel. So Sarah Lucas and some other people were in it. So we built these rafts where we had to go across from like the canal from our gallery, which is an arsenal area, to like the main Venice Biennial area, which is, you know, it's like a 100-yard canal, something like that. We built a raft and a little boat. And the little boat, if you tilted it one way, it would sink. It was already gaining water all the time, so we had to bail it the entire time. So we'd bring one person at a time across from the other side <laughs> to this side. With two people rowing, one person standing directly in the center so they couldn't fall over at all. And we were just yelling at them the whole time to stand up straight. And then we're bailing water the entire time, too. You know? Right, right. That's another, it's another thing where it's not as dangerous because we can swim, but at the same time, there's that, like hesitancy to be like, okay, I'm just going to get in this boat that's actually sinking the entire time. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and bring uh, a person, a, a captive member of the audience into the performance, you know. Sure. Well, did you lose anybody? We didn't lose anybody, but the boat eventually did sink after about three or four days. <laughs> it finally just sunk itself. That sort of performative stuff, I'm not really, I never really was into performance art as a genre. You know, but I think they're sort of pushing pushing the boundaries to what art is, to what sculpture is, to where art starts and where it ends, and where maybe it doesn't happen at the same time too. But they allow it to just sort of play out where anything can happen, and that's really interesting to me. You know. All right. Well, let's take a break right there, and we'll listen to "Swells" by Skylar Mail.
All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed the music. And again, we're going to play a full-length song after the credits lead us out, so please stay tuned for that if you want to hear it uninterrupted. And of course, check out SkylarMail.com to listen to more music and check out more art. I don't know, all this kind of makes me wonder, too, then, you know, sometimes artists are really, you know, preoccupied with, like, how something's going to be received, and mm-hmm. it doesn't strike me that they're particularly concerned with that. I mean, what, I don't know, what's the... What's what? What are they kind of gauging in terms of what what kind of reaction and what kind of engagement they want with their with their audience? I mean, is it something that's you can't anticipate? Yeah, I think that I think the the engagement is always a little bit. If you think about any sort of punk fans engagement with the audience, it's it feels like you're saying "fuck you" automatically because we're going to do whatever the fuck we want, and you're here because you came, and that's your fault. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to participate, you can leave. And if you love it, you're more than welcome to be here. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's sort of the atmosphere that we're always creating. But more than more often than not, the audience wants to be there. You know, you have very few people that are like, I can't stand this and I have to leave. This is right. this is impossible for me to watch and these people are jokers and Right, right. And it happens, you know. But sure. more often than not it seems like it becomes a real communal event. You know. Right, right between the audience and the artist, and um, it, it, in the end, it feels like we're all sort of, like, intermingled at the end, because they've experienced something that they, they were brave enough to sort of sit through or engage themselves in, and the same for us, you know? And uh, that's a real nice learning experience, and that feels like it's genuinely good, real art to me when that happens at the end. Right. Because I'll go to a lot of shows where there's, you know, good paintings, you know, which is great because I'm, I, I'm engaged, but maybe the viewers and the audience there, the, the people in the galleries are not so much just because of their party or hang out and they don't really care about the art. Well, and, and I, I think too, like these kind of conversations is really the whole point in me wanting to do this at all. Yeah. Because you can't, I mean, be kind of a jerk to show up at an opening and you know, talk to somebody for an hour and a half or... You know, two hours, sure. uh, every little facet of it. But I think no, we're all guilty of it. I mean, yeah, we all do it. Yeah, it's but, just part of the nature of being at somebody's exhibition opening, and sure, the social nature of it too. Sure. Well, and I mean, so so is that something that you kind of continue while you're doing other things, or was it something that you kind of solely focused on for a while? Um, I mean, this is this is a still this is an ongoing thing, but um, I'm always involved with creating creating artworks with them and uh, also creating my own, my own personal work in my own studio in Chicago. So, I mean, that, that moved on to many other different projects that went to France. Um, we, we did a big project at the Musée de la Moderne, which is the modern art museum in Paris, and we built over like 2,000 sculptures inside of the museum while we were there. And we just took over the entire space over a span of maybe three or four months. So we were building and building and building this entire time. And we just took, I would go out every night with a van, mm-hmm. um, go through all the trash of all of Paris France, basically, and find the interesting stuff and throw it in the back of the van and deliver it to the museum. And then they'd throw it on the elevator and bring it upstairs, and the next day would be, that would be our new working material for the day, you know. And what kind of, I mean, what kind of things were you finding? I mean, were you finding, like, all, all kinds of like stuff? Like, we were looking mostly for, like, furniture, like, wood furniture that we could cut up and use, you know, structurally. We're looking for, um, you know, things. Like this isn't probably somebody's old dresser that we just cut up, you know, mm-hmm. and just refasten together. 
Um, everything is also covered in sugar, so we're cooking sugar the entire time and covering all the sculptures in molten sugar after they were made to give them that sort of like weird antiquated look. But right. Also, the, the smell was like really sweet and strange. But we're working with antiquity basically, just like trying to like replicate old Romanesque statues and pillars uh, and columns and that sort of like refuse of ancient civilizations. Well, and so, I mean, and again, I mean, I think especially it's fitting, too, like that, um, you know, you kind of keep talking about, like, this band kind of mentality, almost. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's weird. It's, in a way, it's, like, it reminds me of, like, the idea of going into a hotel room and trashing the place only. Yeah, but we don't have museums, and, do it, and they give us money to do it. Right, right. And you're yeah. going out and collecting, you know, trash. I mean, tra- things that people are getting rid of, things that sure. are then kind of being reused for this new material. Because it's really easy to just cut something up with a saw and make a new sculpture out of it, you know? Especially when you're trying to fill space and make this a certain aesthetic that feels like it's really used and sort of hard-edged and un, uh, unrefined, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. in some way. And so, I mean, was it was it something, too, where people could could kind of watch you working, or was it something where you were working no, 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 kind of isolated for... Yeah, yeah, we, just, we, we held up in, okay. in, the, in the top floor of the museum for months just working every day and it was really frustrating because we didn't really know where the project was going you know we knew we had this amount of space to go we knew what our general aesthetic was but like filling that void was really tough to do that was one of the hardest shows i've ever done i think you know we had probably 15 people working on it like 15 different artists that were kind of collaborating mm-hmm. yeah and so I, I, were those dynamics pretty pretty impossible, or were they pretty easy? Or? I mean, we at that point we probably just we really just sectioned ourselves off into different groups. I think the people that we knew that we could work with really well, and just sort of right. navigated that. So we go, okay, I'm going to take this whole area now, and you guys take this whole area, and we'll sort of see where we go from there. If we need to move things from here to there, that's fine. But well, it's interesting too because we talk again about. Um, competitiveness too you know, just being that, that there's period. a lot of competitiveness right. but it's healthy it's like a healthy competitiveness you know at that point when you have that many people working together um, because of course you assume that whatever you're doing is going to be the best thing that's going to be in that show right and then a bunch of people come by and say that's shit no man it's right, shit right. it's shit it can't go and you've been working on it for three days or something you know right right well and it's interesting on, really? being in that immersive environment to yeah. be doing it you know well, being in a museum where you know, you're, you're building the work in a museum and going ahead where it's going to be viewed, which is like the most important <laughs> place where a thing can be viewed, you know. Right. And you're looking at it, of course, going, yeah, this is perfect. Right. Right here, right now. But it's an interesting problem because most people, you know, obviously don't work in a space. No. So, I mean, it's I, I've never worked in a space like that before. So yeah, it'd be like, this is dumb. Look at this. It works yeah. great on this wall right here, you know. But that sort of competition is what really builds, I think, a show like that into something that is successful. Sure. Because you're having an old-fashioned style art school critique with each other, but more on a uh, recess field sort of style, you know? Well, you know, so what was the, what was the turnout like then? In, in terms of when you're finished with all of this, what was the reception like? The reception was pretty huge. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a major museum in... Paris, so I mean, you have a lot of a lot of uh, people coming to a exhibition opening like that, especially when the artists are in attendance, and it's sort of a known fact that it'll be a little bit wild. I 
I feel like every time we're, we're looking at a project like that, I'm exhausted by the time the opening comes around and I'm uninterested in what the people think of it at all, you know? Right. And I remember that the opening of the show in Paris, I had a debate with some French guy that showed up early to the show and was really looking around and wanted to make some very in-depth comments about what was happening. And I had really sort of disproved all of his theories about what he thought gelatin was and what he thought the show was. And he was really uh, disappointed. I just remember him being pretty, pretty upset that like he couldn't like pound me down to the ground and say, this is shit, you know? And I was right. like, no, this is actually what it is. And you weren't thinking about it in that way, you know? Right. Right. And I think I basically probably had the same conversation with him that I'm having with you about that it's a sort of competitive, um, well-rounded navigation, trying to find out what it is while you're working on it sort of system. You know? Sure, sure. And he had this very cutthroat aesthetic decision that it should be planned out and it seems like a mess in here. And, right, right. You know. Well, I mean, so, I mean, was it something too then where, I mean, how, how long did you, were you kind of involved in specifically with this or is this something now where at this point you're traveling back from the States or? I mean, I feel like I'm doing a project within at least once a year and um, I did that project and then we've done many projects since. I did 2011 Venice Biennial, which we, we built a kiln and had melting glass come out of it the entire time and played punk rock music right next to it for uh, 10 hours a day or something and we had to keep the kiln going 24 hours a day at like 2,000 degrees so the glass would keep melting we made this big glass stalag type you know basically in the end so that was like a real hardcore project as well um, and then most recently I did a project at Green Naftali in September I think that was September in Chelsea um, and that was uh the fall sculpture. So every every piece in the in the show had a pedestal, and you you press on the uh, there's a pedal built into the pedestal. When you press on the pedal, the sculpture falls over and breaks. Every single piece breaks in a different way, falls in a different way. Right. Um, and that was really mostly the audience. It wasn't really a performance necessarily, but it was built up. So the audience is basically the performer, you know, and they have to pick up the sculpture that's broken and put it back on there, and it sits a different way, and then it's going to fall a different way and break a different way and break more and more and more. And I thought that was a really intensely smart show because they really set it up so that the audience member is, is trying to think about whether to press the pedal, whether to let it fall, whether to let it break, put it back up, and if it's still the same art that it was beforehand, and if it's art before they break it, or if it's art after they break it, if they're the artist in some term or not, you know. Sure. Well, it makes me think of, too, I mean, just, I mean, obviously, having so many things up on pedestals in terms of a museum context mm -hmm. or art context. And, I don't know, something that I always think about is just the idea of something over time, you know, it doesn't, you know, any, any painting is going to be dust you know, at some point down the line. But, so, I mean, I think that's one of the other things that makes makes it seem interesting, too, then. It's like, what you know, what really is the value of something like that when it's going to be gone? It's going to turn into nothing at some point. Right, and it, right. It, of course, it was a progressed uh, atmosphere, you know, where essentially every single piece in the show was turned into dust at the end, you know, right. over a two-month period. And I also did a performance at the opening where I, I played in the elevator 
but in the new in the elevator, where all the people had to come up to the gallery. And um, I had my old friend, uh, Lily from Iceland, and singing on top of the piano, like an old, uh, you know, what do you call it, like a cocktail lounge singer. <laughs> right, right, you know. <laughs> like in a dress and like too much lipstick. <clears throat> so it was a good introduction to the show. But I, I, I keep doing these more musical um, side shows, I think, to, these, to the gelatin performances now. Because it's sort of a, the band, the band musician, I think, or, or at least the performances are being set to music that I'm creating. Mm-hmm. You know, it's usually really Im- improvised sort of uh, piano music or, or something really acoustic that's really hands-on. We did another show uh, a month afterwards in Buffalo at the uh, Albright Knox Museum. So uh, at the Albright Knox, we basically built these plinths, these um, plinths that would, they were cut out at the top so that um, body parts could sort of stick out um, just perfectly, just enough to um, cut the skin where it looked like um, there was nothing underneath, like it hadn't gone through. So you can see like Florian's leg here is sticking out here, but it looks really like a sculpture. Mm-hmm. And Ollie's back and backside is sticking out here, but it looks like a sculpture because it's just cut off right there. And this Wolfgang's just hair sticking out there too. And so... It really, I mean, that was a, an extension of basically the fall show where the sculptures are falling over, but now this, this time it becomes a part of, um, the body becomes the art, essentially. And it's, I guess it goes back to the Tilda Swinton thing where she's sitting in a glass box being observed by people in the museum, you know? Right. But everyone knows that it's Tilda Swinton sitting in a box, you know? Right. Whereas these just look like... These look like strange, abstract sculptures, you know? body parts that aren't real. They look like they're cast, you know, they look like, um, nothing natural is happening here. They're all sitting completely still. People are touching it just to see if it's real, you know, that sort of thing. And that pushes the boundary of what performance is too, because that's a performance. It's also a sculpture. It's also a temporary sculpture and it becomes a whole new experience for somebody who's entered that exhibition. Right. And who might be normally just kind of Seeing some stuff and moving sure. on. Sure, you but know, you can't right. be passive in a, in a right, right, in a performance like that. Well, and certainly too. Just the, I mean, just from looking at it too. I mean, it's something that I would imagine most people are. You know, it's not like a vase of flowers. It's something where you're kind of inquisitive. And but it, but it should act like a like a vase of flowers, basically. I mean, aesthetically, it should sit so still and so perfectly right, right, right. that you wouldn't even take a second thought that it's just a vase of flowers. It should be pretty boring, and that's what it should be. Right. It's really boring, unimaginative thing, <laughs> which somehow becomes interesting because you know that it is alive and it is something being held captive and it is a segment of something else that you can't see. So that's what I've been working on for the last few years. Well, and so you're saying though that those those projects, those kind of interactive group projects, or something that's always continuing. So. I'm guessing that you have something that's coming up in the Yeah, we'll be doing a performance in uh, Vienna, in Austria, at the Kunsthall Museum in Vienna in June. So I'm getting geared up for that. We'll be playing some music. Um, I think Andrew W.K. is coming to play with me. It'll be pretty fun. Paul Winchell, another great artist. I'll give you more details later about sure, what's actually sure. happening.
Well, so you've got you've got this thing going on in June then, and obviously you're making work now. But like I was saying earlier, it's it's like you're kind of just picking whatever it is that you want to do. Is that is that kind of the case? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm always involved with um, with music and recording. I'm also sort of investigating painting in the same way that I would I would work with music work, which is sort of doing what feels good at the time. So right now I have a very wide range of different um, series of paintings that I'm working on in the studio, drawings and paintings. Um, as you can see here, I've got these, these strange uh, hash mark circle paintings that I'm working on right now. I've got these really um, bizarre little abstract colorful paintings that I'm working on too, and then I'm back to sort of doing figurative work at the same time. Right. And for me, that that's a real um, never-ending project that's just bouncing back and forth between doing these abstract little conceptual paintings and right. getting back to um, figurative work. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, and I guess maybe something that we should bring up especially too, just because it's been said a number of times is, uh, um, I mean, what what's your relationship to punk rock music and and I mean, is that is that almost the way? That, like, because because to hear you kind of say that too, I mean, it seems like there's a a level of just kind of being able to do whatever you want, just period. Yeah, like, I mean, is that really the attitude that you kind of take I, to I, it I in think terms the, of? I think the attitude that I've always taken is just like sort of like trying to find freedom at any point, any time, whenever I can. I mean, it's hard when you're in school and you have, and then you get a job and you have to do all these things and you have to follow rules. People are telling you how you should do things, and you should, you know, do it like this and like this and like this, et cetera, et cetera. And I think when I get in the studio, after I'm done with all of that, you know, I just want to do whatever the fuck I want to do. And if it if it means that I have to break the rules of like working on a certain construct of work over a period of time because that is a, a sellable style of work because it, you know, it's all a set, you know, or it all works together somehow. It's like as soon as I figure out that I'm working on something for too long, I go the opposite way instantly, you know? Right. As soon as I feel like I'm in some sort of, like, construct that I've set for myself, I break out of it and then go the opposite way for a little while. And I, I can always come back to it, but it's just, like, it's more of, like, I have to break the rules somehow. Always. Well, it seems that that immediacy is something that's really awesome, you know, a really, yeah. a really interesting yeah. thing, because I think... Again, a lot of, like you're saying, I mean, a lot of people might be sitting there working away on a series of whatever, sure. you know, but I mean, to be able to kind of, you know, especially kind of jump around in terms of modes and, um, hey, you know, I feel like doing this today. Well, I just have a lot of ideas, too, so I feel like if, I'm, if I don't start on something else that's a completely opposite direction of what I'm working on, I'm going to miss out on it if I don't start it, you know? So maybe the opposite of whatever I'm doing, but if I don't start it immediately, then I'm going to lose it in my brain somehow, you know. Which is a, a huge trap, you know. People, I mean, it it's is a major trap. It's great to come up with an idea, yeah. but how can yeah. you, you know, how do you follow through on it? So I mean, especially sure. to kind of have all these things going is yeah. pretty interesting because you can be, you know, painting something for the fourth time, or you know, in a little bit you're going to be leaving to to go make some music, and yeah. you know, it's just something that. I don't, know, kind of really I don't know what I'm doing. Right, 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 right. I know that I'm doing something all the time. I think that's probably more important to me than, um, I mean, I do care about the end results, obviously, but at some point I just have to say, yeah, this feels good right now and I have to do this right now. Well, and it's interesting, too, because I've, you know, I've talked to artists that will specifically spend 
tons and tons of time working through something. Yeah. You know, a lot of time reflecting. And in a way, you know, it's really kind of creating a sense of like distance from it so that you can kind of figure out almost what you think of it. And it's almost like by, by being able to be invested in so many different things, you allow them all to kind of develop. Well, I, 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 I allow them all to develop, but I, I try to allow them all to coalesce somehow into each other, you know? So, I mean, I'll say, for example, I mean, we can look at all the work that's going on right here, you know? This was probably maybe the first painting that I made out of this series, which the audience maybe the sense cannot see, but it's a very loose, colorful painting. But I set myself up with rules and parameters, so... I said, I can only make marks that are going um, vertically, and they have, they, the colors cannot um, touch each other. They cannot be uh, equal in value uh, or hue to each other when they're next to each other. So I set up that whole parameter, and then I said, okay, now I can fill all the empty space that's between these two things, but those, when that space comes with it in contact with another line, that space cannot be filled with another color that is equal or lesser to or similar to. It's like it's like a weird set of rules that I set myself up with. And it, it's a very loose sort of painting, you know. And then I move on to these things, which are much more stringent, these sort of plaids, but it's really only about trying to create the straightest line that I can possibly create without um, masking it off or anything. Right, right. And then creating layers and layers and layers on top of that. And then I get a lot more loose and gestural and almost cartoony with a lot of those things that I take out of those two paintings. So it's, it's about sort of like taking what I can from one painting to the next and transferring that information and creating a whole new set of values for myself. Right. And then I bring it back into this figure painting, which looks very similar to what's going on here. Well, and it's interesting, well, that idea of collaboration, you know, really just kind of seeing Sure, that too. maybe I'm setting up, like, um, little players for myself that I can collaborate <laughs> with, you know, like the paintings of the players. Well, I, really, I mean, I really like that idea of being part of a band, I mean, in that sense, or the, yeah. the way that you think about it, like this, you know, this is that, that component that just has to be this particular way to kind of contribute sure. to the whole. and I know that, that I'm going to do things that are not going to be as good as somebody else doing some, something else, that their strong point is, but... I do definitely have a role to play in all of it, you know. And I think it throws your ego down a little bit when you act like that. Because you go, okay, I have this role to play and I have to be collaborative and figure out what my role is in this situation to the best of my abilities. Sure. So maybe that's what my paintings are about still, you know, trying to figure out what my role is and what the painting's role is in relation to the next paintings. Well, you know, we'll have to make sure that we do some sort of follow-up because, um, especially with with all the the things that you've been doing um, collaboratively, you know, I'm really kind of interested in, in you know finding out what happens in June, you yeah. know, what what the how that all turns out. So it's all an experiment, Dave. And and again, could you just uh, do you have any rough details so that we can kind of get an idea of what to look out for, uh, where, where the show's going down and all that? The show's going down at the Kunst Hall in Indiana. Um, there's going to be a lot of, I think there's going to be a lot of invited artists to um, help out there. So, you know, I can't give you real details about what's going to happen because I, that information is still sort of crawling out of uh, the source. He's saying it's top secret, so. 
<laughs> so everyone will just have to just wait and just keep their eyes open yeah. and, and just wait. A lot of it's top secret until we're ready to go. Yeah, know? well, I could understand that, you know. So, well, it's a, a pleasure to, to come here and, and chat with you and, and hear, hear all about it. So. Yeah, it's great to have you talk with you. Thanks. Thanks again to Skylar Mail for joining us, and please follow those links, SkylarMail.com, check out his work, and leave us some comments. Tell us what you think about the podcast. I also invite you to go to my website, DavidLinway.com, check out the paintings that I have there, and again, mostly dealing with architecture and landscape. It's all there at DavidLinway.com, so let me know what you think. As always, we would invite you to check out all of the artists that we've had on Studio Break, and again, a lot of Chicago artists like Skyler, including Melissa Oreski, Ann Toebe, Brian Kabernakis, and others, so please go ahead and check out those archives. As always, each of those entries include a slideshow of the artist's work, as well as links to their websites, so go check them out. Once again, you can follow us on Twitter, at Studio Break on Twitter, and of course you can follow our Facebook page and like it. It's always more fun when people reach out, so please feel free to connect to us there. Once again, you can find our Studio Break podcast in the iTunes Store. Search for Studio Break under Podcasts and subscribe. You can also leave us comments if you like the podcast. Again, we have over 65 episodes, I think, so please feel free to share them. And again, if you are ever so kind, you can always donate with the Donate button featured right there on the homepage. So if you feel like helping out with some of our projects or some of our podcasts, we'd greatly appreciate it. Our music today was featured by our artist, Skylar Mail. Our opening song, Siamese Viennese, followed by Swells in the Middle and Taking Us Out, Thermodynamic, which we'll play again. So again, stay tuned if you want to hear that. Last, we just wanted to share some news that our exhibition proposal for Second Nature featuring the works of Gregory Euclid, Charles Conwisher, Amzie Emmons, Shona McDonald, Amanda Smith, and myself will be featured in Fort Lauderdale in the fall. Again, when we have more information about Second Nature, specific dates, we'll be sure to share it on Studio Break, so please look for it there. I'm also under the wire as I have a solo show coming up May 11th at Jan Brandt Gallery called Emerge. A lot of new work will be featured and opening the same night, Morgan Price's Monkey Business. He's currently teaching printmaking at Illinois State University, makes really nice work, so check out his website, morganpriceart.com, and of course maybe we'll get him on studio break to talk about it before too long. I'd also like to announce that Robert Paulson has an exhibition opening up at the gallery space of the law office of Joni Beth Bailey in Murfreesboro, Illinois. Robert is an amazing painter from Southern Illinois University Carbondale. He taught there for many years and had a great influence on a number of young artists. So please check out his exhibition April 5th through May 31st with an opening reception of April 12th from 6 to 8 p.m. Again, check that out online. It should be all over Facebook and just some really great paintings to check out. So go ahead and do that. Lastly, I'm really excited to announce that our 2013 competition is now open. Again, our juror, Mark Harold Ponder, is a multimedia artist, curator, exhibition coordinator at Box 13 Art Space in Houston. And again, we're really excited to have him on, so he'll be juring the competition. Again, we're going to be selecting three artists from three different categories, undergraduate, BA, and BFA students, 
Graduate MA and MFA students and professional artists of all levels are encouraged to apply. Again, three winners from each category for a total of nine, and I'm also really excited to let you know that one of those winners from each category will receive a solo show in Houston at the Peoria Art Guild in Peoria, Illinois, and at Jan Brandt Gallery in Bloomington, Illinois. So three winners will receive an exhibition. The application process is very simple. Donate $10, submit 10 images along with an artist statement and resume to studiobreak at gmail.com. And again, a full description will be available at studiobreak and on our Facebook page. So please apply for it. Again, deadline is May 31st, so get it out there. And again, we're looking forward to seeing what kind of new artwork we can find. So please submit to the 2013 competition. All right, that's our show for today. We'll talk to you real soon, everyone. Thanks for listening.